All right. Hey, here we are again, man to man. It's our last Wednesday night together. This just kind of flew by, didn't it? Just hopefully you have uh, received something from this class and hopefully more than one something. For some of you, you didn't hear anything you didn't already know or hadn't even ever heard me say, but hopefully it was a good reminder for you. Uh, for others, uh, maybe it's the first time you heard me say some of the things that I said and hopefully that it will be a, uh, a help to you. So excited about the, having younger fellows with us. And uh, thank you for paying attention and for coming out. And So tonight, we're going to answer some questions. Uh, I just thought it might be uh, fun, interesting, helpful, whatever, to just open it up for questions and that you may have. And so we passed those out last Wednesday night and allowed you to ask any question you want to ask. If you weren't here, sorry, too late, because uh, I said I, I wanted them in advance so I would appear not to be dumb or I'd appear to be smart, uh, so I had some time to put something together. Hey, I want to make my disclaimers, first of all, okay? First of all, I don't claim to be omniscient. I mean, know what omniscient means. That means all-knowing. There's only one who's omniscient, and his name is what? Yeah, that's God. He's omniscient, but I, I'm not. And I, I don't claim to be omniscient. I don't claim to be all-knowing. I don't claim to have all the answers. But I have lived, as of this past Monday, 64 years, and uh, have been happily married for almost 47 years to the same woman. And that's got to be close to a record in this day and age. Uh, I have been a father for nearly 43 years. Uh, I have been a pastor for uh, 46 years. So all that to be said, I'm saying I have had plenty of learning experiences. I'm kind of like farmer's insurance. Uh, I've seen a thing or two, so I know a thing or two. Let me see that commercial. Uh, I'm going to give you my opinion. Hopefully, it's not just my opinion. Hopefully, there's some wisdom in there. Hopefully, uh, there's some uh, Bible in there. Uh, but I'm going to. I'm just want to make my disclaimers. Now, if you disagree uh, with my answer or you have something to add uh, to my answer, just make a note of it. Okay, don't interrupt me. Don't stop me. But make a note of it. And if we have time at the end of this session, we will hear. From you, and I'll help clarify, or we'll hear what you have to say. Okay, so let's get let's get started. Okay, now uh, I received some personal questions that I wasn't anticipating. It wasn't exactly the questions I was uh, looking to receive, uh, but uh, I said, "Ask anything." So, and uh, uh, these a couple of these personal questions, I think, might. Uh, help some of you new guys uh, get to know me a little bit better. So that, that'll be good. So I'm going to start with the personal questions. They're the easiest ones to answer. And uh, uh, so the first one was, how did you and Don meet? I wasn't anticipating a question like that, but hey, we'll answer it. It's kind of a uh, long story. I'll try and put in a, in a little capsule, but actually my mom and dad and my wife's mom and her biological father, um, they were friends before me and my wife were uh, uh, 
even conceived, okay? Um, they, they were friends. They actually sang in a gospel quartet together. Uh, my father and my wife's mother uh, fought a lot because they were both strong and had opinions about uh, music. And my dad, you know, was a good singer, and my mother-in-law was an incredible musician, and they had, they butted heads over music. That's about all they butted heads over, but they did butt heads over music. But anyway, so, uh, so they knew each other, and, and so my mom and, and my mother-in-law now, my wife's mother, were, were good buddies, and uh, so um, uh, my uh, mom, uh, wanted she got pregnant with me and my wife and my mother-in-law got pregnant with with my wife Dawn and they and they, here they were friends and so my uh uh my mom uh uh wanted a girl she wanted a girl she had uh two boys she had a girl and two boys she wanted a girl and uh so um uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm getting mixed up on my story here. I hadn't told it in a long, long time. Um, and my mother-in-law wanted a boy, okay? So anyway, so my wife was born three months before I was. My wife's older than me, okay? I'm, I'm married to an older woman. She's three months older than me. We have a problem. We don't know whether she's supposed to submit to her husband or I'm supposed to respect my elders. <laughs> so my wife was born first, and, of course, she was a girl. And uh, so uh, uh, my mother-in-law named her Eva Dawn. My wife's first name is actually Eva, E-A-V-A, not Eva. Eva, Eva Dawn. At dawn, ever dawn, and so then three months later, I was born. Well, uh, my mother wanted a girl and was thinking she's going to have a girl and whatever, and so she didn't have a a boy's name picked out. But my mother-in-law, who was wanting a boy, had a a boy's name picked out, and her name for her boy was Michael Dawn, and so, but she had my wife, and so she's a girl, so she can't use that name. So my mother, my mother asked. Uh, her best friend, who's my mother-in-law now, can I have your name, uh, the, the boy you were going to hopefully have, Michael Don. And so after me and my wife got married, uh, my mother-in-law said, well, I always wanted a Michael Don. Now I've got a Michael Don. So anyway, I hope, I, that was surely really a terrible way to answer all that question. I didn't do a very good job with that. Uh, how did I really meet her, though? Uh, because they got separated. We all got separated. Everybody went their separate ways. But then a little later on, several years later, we kind of got, my mother and, and mother-in-law got reconnected. And so uh, one day I came home from school for lunch. I was uh, 16 years old and I came home from school for lunch and uh, there was this fox standing in my living room. And uh, that was my wife. And I asked her, I asked her to come out to the garage. Now, I why did I ask her to come out in the garage? I have no idea. But I asked her to come out in the garage. She came out to the garage, and I said, hey, she lived in Enid, Oklahoma. I lived in Oklahoma City. I said, I said if I were to come to Enid, which was 100 miles away, I said, if I were to come to Enid, would you go out with me? And she said, yes. And so um, we had our first date on my 17th birthday, our first date on her 17th birthday, and she paid. She paid. Uh, 
And that's the last time she's ever paid for anything. <laughs> Little funny story about, about my wife. Uh, I, I knew she was the one. I knew she was the one on about our third date when I went up to see her and we went out to, for dinner and I took her. Back in the day, they had the sizzler. How many remember the sizzler? The sizzler, sirloin stockade, the sizzler. Now, to me, when I was growing up, that was what you call a steak, man. I mean, that was a steak. You know, that was the best it got for our house, the sizzler. And so I took my wife to what I thought was the sizzler. But it wasn't the sizzler. It was called Mr. Steak, Mr. Steak. And we sat down, and we opened the menu. And instead of the $1.69 sizzler, it was the $4.99 Mr. Steak. And I'm a... 17-year-old kid still in high school. And I'm sure she must have saw my jaw drop or whatever. And I'm sitting there thinking, what in the world am I going to do? And, and I didn't say a word. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at that time, she said to me, she said, she leaned in and she said, we don't have to stay. I said, what? She said, we don't have to stay. I thought, wow, that's it. She's it. She's, she's pretty and, and, and economical. And we did. We got it. I said, well, I'll get up first and leave. And then in a couple of minutes, you could get up. And we did. And we left. And we went and found the sizzler. <laughs> so, and things have been sizzling ever since. All right. Okay, another personal question. What did you have to do in order to get married since you were minors? My wife and I were 17 years old when we got married. And in the state of Oklahoma, uh, you had to be 18 years old to get married in the state of Oklahoma or the girl had to be pregnant. Well, we were neither of, of the two. My wife was not pregnant and we were not 18 years old. So uh, I told my dad that I wanted to get married and he said, you're a little young. I said, I'm the same age you were. And uh, so he said he couldn't fuss about that. I could have if my kid would have asked, told me that. But my dad said I couldn't, you know, what I'd have said, well, you, you got a smarter dad than your dad. But anyway, so, uh, so anyway, and they, they loved Dawn and who, who wouldn't. And, and I think probably they thought, you know what, as dumb as he is, boy, he's found a good one here. Let's get it done. You know, he may, he may, lose her and you know so let's get her done so what we had to do is we called an assemblies of god pastor in anthony kansas which was just north of enid oklahoma and my wife and i on our wedding day june the 17th 1972 uh that saturday morning my wife and i my mother-in-law and my mom and dad we all got in the car and drove to anthony kansas and the pastor of the Assemblies of, Assembly of God Church in Anthony, Kansas, met us at the little park in the little town. And my wife and I, of course, we'd already had our marriage license. And so he, this guy performed the wedding ceremony. And mom and dad and mother-in-law were the, were the witnesses. And then we came back to Enid, Oklahoma, my wife's hometown, and had a church wedding that night. Uh, my dad said no consummation of the marriage until after the church wedding. <laughs> People will be able to tell by the way you look at each other. 
That was my dad. I'm surprised we didn't sneak off, but we actually held, because we had a hotel room, and we did go do some stuff in the afternoon, but we held to my dad's request or law or whatever it was. All right, here's one. It says, what was your biggest financial mistake? Biggest financial mistake. You know, I've been pretty blessed in this area all my life because I'm a tightwad. Um, you know, I, I probably still have the first dollar I ever made. Uh, I, can, I can squeeze a, a Washington until, until tears come down his face, you know. So I've done pretty good with this. Uh, but I will tell you that one day, and this has only happened to me one time in my entire ministry. I've heard about it from all kinds of pastors, but it's never happened to me before. But it did happen one time. One day I was st- sitting in my office, and a man came to see me from the church. And he came with two checks. And one check was made out to the church for $20,000. The second check was made out to me for $20,000. And he laid that check on my, on my desk, and he said, Pastor, I, I want to I bless the church, but I want to bless you. He became my best friend in the church. Amen. <laughs> well, so, so here I got $20,000. I didn't do anything for, don't deserve it, whatever, whatever. It's just handed to me. Hadn't had to work for it. Nothing. It just handed me $20,000. Well, A week later, he comes in, and the same guy, and he says, you know, he said, I invested a lot of money in this in this investment. And he said, man, he said, it's 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 paying off. And he showed me, he gave me a little slip of paper and showed me his return on that, and it was a lot. And and he said, you know that twenty I gave you? Yeah. He said, you need to think about putting it in this investment. And uh, so a week later, I said, okay. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. <laughs> and uh, a week later, he comes back and shows me, or maybe a month later, comes back. I don't know. Sometime later, he comes back and shows me again. Comes back again, shows me again, shows me again, shows me again. And it's just, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. So, man, I, I take that $20,000 and I, I invest it in that investment. And the next day, it all came down. It was a Ponzi scheme. And I had invested that $20,000 in that Ponzi scheme and lost every bit of it. That's, first of all, I lost it all. Eventually, within a year, uh, there was lawsuits and blah, 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 and I actually... uh, Got back about sixteen thousand of that twenty, so I only lost four thousand. It's a four thousand dollar lesson instead of a twenty thousand dollar lesson. One of the biggest lessons that I learned was, uh, well, first of all, if it sounds too good to be true, it it probably is. But the second lesson that I learned just as much, and that is, if you haven't earned the money, uh, you're not you're not going to be nearly as careful. If you've sweat blood to get it, that, that's why it's, that's why, let me just do a little teaching here. Uh, don't just, you know, don't just dump a lot of money in your kid's lap when they're young, you know. Uh, 
be wise with it, set them up a trust, whatever, whatever. But when you don't have to earn the money and it's just handed to you, um, you guard it. You guard it a whole lot more careful. You're a whole lot more careful. Does that make sense? Here's another question, personal question. It says, uh, "What has what do you feel has been your greatest contribution in your 46 years of ministry?" Um, I would say being able to heal a lot of uh, wounded people. Um that have been wounded by former pastors, uh, former ministries. Uh, There seems to be a pattern in my ministry. God seems to send me a lot of wounded people. Um, uh, In Pampa, Texas, we pastored there from 1979 to 1984. That church had just gone through a split, and they lost half of their people. They were told they were no good. They were low life. They were, were they weren't. I mean, just it was horrible, and uh, that was probably the first time I recognized what the Lord was using us for. When the Lord sent us to to Midland, Texas, in 1991, uh, <clears throat> where the Lord had had spoken to me, March the 26th, 1990, Harvest Time Church, Midland, Texas, Odessa Highway, when I was pastoring in another city in another state. I'd never been in the city of Midland in my entire life, but the Lord spoke to me those words. And I ended up in Midland and started Harvest Time Church from scratch, planted it. And the people God sent to us there by the droves were wounded, hurting, beat up, disillusioned, disheartened uh, people that had just been hurt, wounded by pastors and churches. And then fast forward that to, to Arlington. I have to say it. Um, you know, Former pastor had sold all sold the property, moved the church into a school, and then had a moral failure. And when I got here, the people were wounded, and they were hurt, and they were bruised, and they were disillusioned, and they were angry, and every emotion you could imagine. Um, and so I I I I think uh, that's the greatest contribution. Hopefully we've made others, but I think that's probably the greatest contribution in just healing, hurting people. Um, my ministry, I, I, my strengths, I think, are stability. You don't have to wonder which direction we're going to go. We're not going to go north today and south tomorrow and west the next day. Uh, you'll find stability. You'll find consistency. Um, in everything we do, you'll find consistency. Um, you'll find that we're in the middle of the road. We're not out on the edge in any direction, either behind or ahead. We're in the middle of the road because in the middle of the road, you can reach up and you can reach back. You can reach this way and you can reach that way. Where if you're on the cutting edge in any direction, you're limited as to the people you can reach. Uh, and then, and then uh, we're genuine. We're just... We're the real deal. We're we're not 
we're who we say we are, we're who we appear to be. So I would say that's probably um, uh, our greatest contribution to ministry. Here's another one. What is your biggest failure? And how did you overcome it? Well, I've never had a failure. (laughs) What is your biggest failure and how did you overcome it? Uh, And I don't want to, I got a lot of questions to answer, so I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but uh, it would be leaving a church I planted too soon. Um, I won't go into the details as to why we did. There was no problems in the church. The church was as strong as it had ever been. Uh, we had birthed it. It was our baby. We, we, we loved it. Um, everything was going, going great. Um, but there were some things, uh, I, I don't want to go into detail, but it was nothing to do with the ministry of the church. And, 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 and we left. And, um, and I knew the day that I left that I'd made a mistake. And uh, in fact, I had actually decided to change my mind. They were actually people coming to us, well, and the whole time were coming to us saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. You need a sabbatical. You need a break. Go take three months off and uh, come back in three months. Don't, w- you know, we'll, whatever we need to do to keep you, don't, don't leave. And, uh, and I, I didn't listen and I decided I was going to, I decided I was going to change my mind. And uh, my son, Chad, was my youth pastor at the time. And uh, he was going to go off. He had three large churches that were courting him, wanting to him, him to be their youth pastor because he had built a youth group from about 20 to 125 uh, in a church of 225. And uh, so he was being courted by churches, whatever, whatever. And so he was, well, when I resigned, the people immediately went to my son and said, well, we can't talk your dad out of staying. We want you. Would you consider being our, our, our pastor? And Chad said, no, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. I'm going to be a youth pastor. I'm only 24 years old. And uh, so anyway, but then the day, the day I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this ship around, I'm going to say, wait a minute, I've, I messed up. I'm going I'm, I'm to stay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay. The very day I did, I went to church and went to my office, and my son came into my office, and he said, Dad, he said, uh, you know, I think I'm going to go ahead and let him consider me to be pastor of this church. If I had it to do all over again, I'd say, no, you're not. Get your tail in that youth pastor's office and get to work. I've changed my mind. This is my baby. I birthed this sucker. And, uh, and no, I'm, I'm not leaving, but I didn't. I played the daddy card. I played the daddy card. And the dad heart said, well, okay, son. Yeah, okay. Great. And, of course, they wanted him and elected him and whatever. And, and my last Sunday was, a, you know, the place was packed. And it was exciting. I mean, it wasn't, I just mean there was a lot of atmosphere there and a lot of stuff going on that day. And we did, you know, did the song and dance and all the things that you do and all this stuff. And, and then I walked into my office after everybody was gone. I walked into my office and I laid my head on my desk and I, 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 I wept and I wept and I sobbed and I cried and I knew I just done messed up, and because uh, uh, that was my baby, I birthed it, and I put my blood, sweat, and tears, and lots of my own money, and 
besides that, it was the only ministry I ever had where God just, I mean, just basically wrote it in the sky, you know. I mean, he told me everything before I ever went. And so I struggled emotionally for two and a half, two and a half years. And uh, uh, I traveled and held meetings, had no problem getting meetings. I've, I've never had a problem finding a place to preach. Uh, I held meetings. I tried to tried to be a pastor's friend. Tried to to bring to to, to bring uh, a blessing to the pastor while I was there. I was there as much for the pastor as I was for the people. And uh, traveled and held meetings. Had some success, uh, but was totally, totally, totally unfulfilled and unhappy and. Uh, uh, Proverbs 27 and 8 says, Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. And uh, I was out of place. I was out of place. Uh, I can function as an itinerant preacher, and I think I can do a good job uh, as an itinerant preacher. But I have the heart, I have the heart of a pastor. And so... Um, God eventually opened the door for me to come here, and uh, in April, that'll be 16 years, and I can, I can tell you that I'm fully recovered, and I'm happy, I'm as happy, I'm as happy here as I was in Midland, so I don't want anybody to think that this is second place in my heart, it's not, I can't say it was the first two or three years, or maybe the first five years that I was here, but I can tell you the last 10, 12 years, I've been as happy as I've ever been in my life, and so, and so, for somebody out there, if you've blown it, there's, 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 there's hope for you, there's another place for you, and, uh, but, uh, there is a process, especially if you, you know, um, uh, mess up yourself, you know what I'm saying, I mean, there's a price to be paid, but, but, but God can restore you, and he will if you, if you'll allow him. Okay. Okay. Here's a here's a light-hearted one. How did golf become your favorite hobby? Uh, well, for one thing, I lived in West Texas for uh, let me count up the years. Uh, in twenty-two years, I lived in West Texas for twenty-two years. Um, there's no water in West Texas. There's no trees in West Texas. There's not much in West Texas except a lot of really good people. And so, um, you know, um, I started playing golf because uh, there was something to do. It was golf. Uh, I've always been an athlete. I played baseball, football, basketball, uh, in junior high and high school, I played uh, mostly baseball and basketball in high school. But uh, so I've always loved sports, loved play sports, whatever. And and you know there comes time when you can't play football anymore, can't play basketball anymore, can't you know. So I just I took up golf, and then also you know you cannot be a lead pastor if you don't play golf. It's one of those things you got to pray, you got to read your Bible. And you got to play golf, you know. I mean, you got to do that to be a senior pastor. So uh, uh, I'm joking a little bit, but a lot of pastors do play golf. See, you can take that little white ball, <coughs> and you can put somebody's name on that ball, 
And, and normally I hit a drive about 200 yards, but if I got a certain person's name on it, I can drive it 300. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm teasing a little bit, okay? So, but, uh, um, but my pastor friends were playing golf, and so it was a lot, good, you know, a lot of good fellowship with pastors playing golf. My son, after he, you know, got too old to do all those other sports that he did, he started playing golf, and so that's something me and my son can do together, and we love doing it together, and we love playing together, and so it's a father and son type thing, and, and, and you say, Pastor, are you any good? I'll tell you this. I'm not a good golfer, but I'm a good preacher golfer. You may understand that. If, if you're talking about, am I a good golfer compared to all the all the amateur golfers around? Probably not. But if I'm playing preachers, I'm going to beat about eight out of ten preachers, maybe nine that I play with, okay? So I'm a good preacher golfer. They say that if you're too good at preaching, that means your prayer life's not any good. So, see, I have such a great prayer life, it, I don't have time to practice golf. So uh, I, I, I win a lot when I play with preachers, and so I like to win. So another reason why... I like to play golf. All right, that's enough for me, okay? I didn't mean that to take 30 minutes, but anyway. Let's go on to some other questions here. Uh, how do you motivate... I don't know who these people are. I don't even know if these people are here tonight. But uh, how do you motivate your spouse to press in where they, uh, where, uh, when they aren't as motivated to move into God and the kingdom of God? Uh, my answer, first of all, is lead her, don't drive her. How many know the difference? Um, let her see you consistently read your Bible and pray and get involved in the church. Don't just talk about it, but do it. Um, let her see you change and see you grow spiritually. Uh, Pray for the Holy Spirit to draw her to God. And I believe if you'll do those things, I believe that she will eventually follow you. Uh, here's a question. Wow. Mm. What is a good response when a grandson becomes a homosexual? Should I allow him in my home? First of all, I'm sorry. I am genuinely, genuinely sorry that you're dealing with this and you're facing this. And many, many people today are facing this. In fact, it's actually becoming kind of popular to come out of the closet. And I think there's people that are coming out that really aren't, but just to get attention or whatever, whatever, but... But my advice to you is uh, don't treat him any different than you have in the past. Don't treat him any different than any other grandkid. He's still your grandson. Still your grandson. Offer unconditional love unconditional love. Absolutely allow him in your home. He's your grandson. He's your family. 
don't condone his behavior, but don't constantly condemn him either. Not going to win him. You're going to alienate him. And only speak of this when he brings it up. And let him know you don't agree with his choice. If he brings it up, you don't agree with his choice, but you still love him. You're still my grandson, and I love you, and there's nothing you can ever do to make me not love you. Pastor, really? Isn't that what God says? Does he say, I love you and there's nothing you can do to keep me from loving you? I'm not telling you that, that you can live a homosexual lifestyle and go to heaven. I'm telling you, you can't get away from God's love. And, and your grandson should not ever be able to get away from your love either. Um, pray for him. Um, I don't know what age this kid is. So if you have control... Make sure he's in church. Uh, if he's of youth age, uh, have a confidential uh, meeting with youth pastor. Talk to Pastor Chris. Tell him about the situation uh, so he can help him, help guide him. Um, if he brings it up, show him scripture. Um, but here's the bottom line. If the Holy Spirit can't change him, you can't. Did you hear me? So turn him over to the Holy Spirit. Love him. Love him unconditionally. Let him know you do not agree with his lifestyle. If he allows you to, show him scripture that talks about it. Um, but again, if he's of age to, to get some help in, from a youth pastor or a royal ranger leader or whatever, in confidence, in confidence, I hope that helps. Here's one. As a husband, father, provider, does it make sense to leave a well-paying job, a well-paid job because it contradicts with some of our Christian values. And yes, it is a legal job. Wow, this is tricky. It's complicated. It's not just black and white. It's not just cut and dried. And I have limited information. If you are directly asked to do something, do specific things that go against what the Bible plainly says, like thou shalt not steal, or what goes against your personal convictions, then my answer is yes. But don't leave this job until you find something else. You're already there. You have a family to support. So don't leave this job until you find something else. That being said, make a concentrated effort to find something else. Don't just say, well, I'll, you know. I had a, a lady in a church I pastored years ago who owned and operated uh, 
a liquor store. Okay? Now, she was married to an unsaved man who purchased the liquor store and purchased another business, and he was an alcoholic. Kind of convenient, huh? Well, they got divorced, and in the settlement, the uh, the judge gave the woman the liquor store and gave the man something else because he knew he was an alcoholic. So he gave the liquor store to the wife and gave the other business to the man in the settlement of their divorce. This liquor store was her only means of support. So she owns and operates a liquor store on Monday through Saturday and sings in the choir on Sunday. (laughs) That's a little tricky. And they come to me, and what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Well, you know, I don't really think you probably ought to own and operate a liquor store. You're not taking a little wine for your stomach's sake. You're selling vodka. I don't really think, I didn't say it like that at all. I'm just trying to keep this a little, keep you guys awake, okay? I don't think it's probably a really good idea, right? For a spirit-filled Christian to own and operate a liquor store. So I called her by name and I told her, I said, look, you didn't ask for the liquor store. Your husband bought that liquor store. It was given to you in the settlement. It's your only means of support. Don't shut the liquor store down tomorrow. But go to the realtor and say, I got a liquor store I need to sell. It's her only means of support. Well, her deal was, well, God knows I want to sell it. And so since God knows I want to sell it, If God wants me to sell it, he'll sell it for me. I said, no. God needs you to do what you can do, and then when you've done what you can do, then he'll do what you can't do. And what you can do is list it. She said, but it's my ministry. I said, it's your ministry. She said, it's my ministry. She says, I pray for people every day. I said, and then you sell them vodka. You think preachers only eat fried chicken and preach on Sunday. Um, If you're part of of a company that makes something or sells something that goes against your values, but you are not asked to do anything unethical or illegal or immoral, in that case, and I'm not talking about a liquor store, but in that case, I would pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in this decision. But either way, don't quit until you have something, uh, you have replaced your job. Um, You have a family to support. I believe God will give you grace for that, for that time. And hopefully you didn't know it when you became a part of that. So anyway, I have limited information and limited time. So if you want to Talk more specifically, specific with me and give me details. I can help you maybe with a better answer. Are you still tracking with me? Am I still, am I okay? Am I doing okay? 
Okay, okay, here's a really good question. Why do we have 66 books in the Bible when the Bible makes reference to other books? Some of you don't read your Bible and you don't even know it. But there are 66 books in the Bible, but in those books, in a few places, not very many, but in a few places, it will make reference to another book that is not in the Bible. And so they say, why do we have 66 books when the Bible makes reference to other books? When the Bible, here's my answer, okay, when the Bible refers to other books that was not part, not a part of the 66 books that make up our Bible, the reference is made to other historical, say historical. The reference is made to other historical books that have either been lost or did not pass the test of divine inspiration. And so uh, these books are good for checking history, uh, but not, they're not infallible like those that were divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, could be even, and this is a maybe too light of an answer in this area, but it could even be m- like me preaching and, ref- and giving you a reference to a book Rick Warren read or something, uh, Rick Warren uh, wrote or some other author or whatever. So um, uh, these references are made to other historical books, but these are not divine inspired books like the 66 books are. Um, So I hope that helps. Um, It would be good to do a study of how the 66 books of our Bible were chosen. And uh, you don't need me to do that study. You could do it on your own. All right, does that help? Uh, How would uh, uh, address your teen's transgender friend at school? Okay. Isn't it amazing what questions we have today? A little different than they were when I was growing up. Uh. You know, just teach your child what the Bible says, but teach them uh, to love unconditionally uh, and to treat everyone with genuine love and respect. Um, Teach them that we don't know what's going on in that person's life. We don't know their life story. We don't know why they're doing that. You know, it's easy to sit back and judge and make fun and laugh and ridicule and, and... and but there's a there's a there's a probably a horrible story in there somewhere if we only if we only knew in all of the things that are out there and you know I mean and I've even said it myself well you know just common sense says you should whatever but you know what when you've been wounded when you've been abused when you've been hurt when you've been I mean you, you don't even know what common sense is because you ain't been raised around common sense you've been raised around crazy. And so it's a a strange and crazy world we live in today. Uh, Teach them that some people struggle and, and, you know, just to love them unconditionally. But teach them, you know, what the Bible says about it for themselves. But um, pray with your child about their friend and about how to treat them. I'll tell you what it is. It's a good teaching moment for you. It's a good teaching moment for you to talk to them about 
about, you know, their own sexuality and about how to treat people that are different than we are and how to love unconditionally and these kinds of things, okay? All right, here's another question. When is the proper time to discuss sex with your son? Okay, I would say that each child develops at a different pace. But I would say uh, in our world that we live in today, which is different than the world I grew up in and even a difference than when I was raising my, raising my kids. Um, so I would say to start as young as possible with age-appropriate books so they will always feel comfortable with this subject. Um, when I was growing up, you just got the talk the talk and it was once and it was the talk okay and by the time we got the talk we didn't need the talk okay so we can't have just have the talk anymore um, we got to start start them really 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 young and the good news is you don't have to do it on your own and please don't do it on your own there's Good, good Christian books out there. Um, start them early and uh, progress as the child ages, and they'll feel more comfortable and uh, feel more comfortable about coming to you with questions. Uh, get some good material to help you. Do not just wing it. Don't wing it. It's the stuff, the materials out there, good Bible-based Christian stuff. That begins when they're a little bitty. Okay? Here's another question. It says, why do bad parents have good kids and good parents have bad kids? Why does this happen? Well, let me begin my answer by saying this. Everything is not as it appears. No one really knows what's taking place at home. And people really know how to put on a facade. That being said, each child has a choice. And we're not robots. I grew up in the home with, there were four kids. Three boys, one girl. Two turned out to be preachers. Two turned out to be alcoholics. Same home, same parents. Each child has a choice. Um, So parents should put as much good stuff as possible into their kids. Put as much good stuff as possible consistently. Consistently, devotions together, bedtime prayers together, bring back the family table, Um, uh, church. I'm, I'm like most pastors today, I am so frustrated. I'm so frustrated. Our church is growing, but it's not showing up on the Sunday morning attendance. 
new people are coming in and nobody's leaving. I'm, I mean, it may be one here or there, but I mean, nobody, they're coming in. Bunches of people are coming in. And I don't know of anybody that's left. If, if, if they have, it's one or two here or there. But the numbers aren't showing. Our church is growing, but it ain't showing. Why? Because nobody goes to church more than twice a month anymore. A pastor yesterday at our pastor's meeting said that his are averaging once a month. People think they're, well, I'm going to get on my soapbox here now. People, people, think they're, people think they're raising their kids in church. They're not. Raising your kids in church means you're coming when the doors are open. You're coming. Now, I know you need to go see Grandma, and I know you need to take a vacation. And blah, you know, I know, but you know what? When sports has your, kids in there, has your kids three out of four, and you're giving God one out of four, you're not raising your kids in church. Parents should put as much good stuff as possible in their kids consistently. Devotions together. Church. Consistently. Church. Sunday morning. Wednesday night. Sea group. Retreats. Royal Rangers. Curls ministry. Youth group. Youth camp. Kids camp. Retreats. And on and on and on. Putting good stuff in. Good stuff in. Good stuff in. Good stuff in. Inspect their social media. My goodness, see some of our own kids and I see some of their stuff and I'm going where is the parents inspect their social media well I gotta respect their privacy you don't have privacy until you own your own home and pay your own bills until then there ain't no privacy You want privacy? Move out. Come on. If I'm paying the rent and the utilities and putting groceries on the table, you ain't got no privacy. I'm coming to your room when I want to. Ain't no lock on your door. I'm going to look under your mattress. I'm going to look in your closet. Know their friends. Know their friends. Be the house that, be the, be the fun house where all the kids, where, the, where your friends, where your kids' friends want to come to your house because it's fun at your house. Why? Because you can control what comes, happens in your house. You can't control when they go over there. Man, I don't even know if I'd even allow my kids to spend the night with anybody now. I'll tell you, I'll tell you when I was in third grade, when I was in third grade, uh, I went to one of my friend's house, I was in third grade, went to one of my friend's house, spent the night with him. He took off his clothes off and told me what him and his other friends did when they came over to his house, and I said, let's go outside and play baseball. (laughs) And we went outside and played baseball, and I never went to that kid's house again, but... I'm talking about when I was in third grade. Third grade. Might have been fourth or fifth, but I think it was third grade. Good night. Uh, 
Spend time with your kids. Know their friends. Support them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Uh, live the Christian life in front of them. Uh, Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they'll not depart from it. doesn't give you a guarantee they're going to be saved. But what it means is that when they get old, they'll never be able to get away from the teaching and the training. They may still drink or whatever, or party or whatever, but they ain't going to have a whole lot of fun. They're going to be, have a, lot, a whole lot of guilt. It ain't going to be easy for them. And hopefully they will return. The prodigal did. The prodigal returned. The father put enough good in the prodigal that he came back. My brother did. He's a prodigal. He came home. He came back. All right, I just have about five minutes. Here's another one. I have a friend that was raised by a loving family and followed everything that was on your 10 tips and has now turned to drugs and alcohol. My question is how do I avoid this for my kid? I think my last answer would work for that one too. Here's another one. How do you deal with regrets of not being the, how do I deal with regrets of not being the man I should have been when I was younger? Well, let me say this. We cannot go back and have a new beginning, but we can begin again and have a new ending. And everyone has regrets. Everyone. My regret, leaving the church too soon. Everyone has regrets. Some have more regrets than others, but everyone has regrets. Regret, regret will do one of two things. Either it will stop you or it will motivate you. It will either stop you or motivate you. As long as you're looking in the rearview mirror, you can't see what's in front of you. So repent of past mistakes and then start moving forward. You can't change the past, but you can map out your future. Learn from your past mistakes and don't repeat things and don't repeat your past failures. Learn from your mistakes or from your failures and don't repeat your past failures. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself and move on. You can't control whether others forgive you, but you can forgive yourself. And if you repent, God will forgive you. Amen. I've got three minutes to answer an hour question. I'm going to give me just five more minutes tonight. Can you give me five minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, okay. You fall for it every time. <laughs> you taught your children how to, have, how to hear the voice of God. Please teach us men, okay? I need uh, three hours, actually. Uh, and I am going to probably teach on this, Okay? Do a series on this. Um, But let me just give you a brief answer here. Um, First of all, God uh, speaks to us in many different ways. Uh, He can speak through his written word. And by the way, that's the most reliable. 
Uh, he speaks to us through an inner voice. Um, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. So he speaks through an inner voice. Um, if you don't understand an inner voice, that could be an impression, just an impression, just I feel impressed to do this, impressed to do that. Um, but um, he can preach through a preacher's sermon, or he can speak to us through a preacher's sermon, he can speak to us through a prophecy, and, and there are many other ways. Uh, depending on this, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you're really talking about uh, how to hear that inner voice, God speaking to us on the inside, that inner voice. Um, depending on the seriousness of the situation, it would be my advice. I would have a different advice for a minor thing and a major thing. If it's a minor thing, like, you know, the Lord just just told me to give Jacob a $50 bill. You, you know that's God, right, Jacob? You, you, you come in alignment with that, wouldn't you? If it's a minor thing, you know, the Lord, you just felt the Lord speak to you something, just a minor thing, then I would simply ask myself one question, and that is, does this align with Scripture? Is my impression, is that inner voice, what I feel like I'm hearing God say to me, does that align it? align with scripture uh, if it doesn't align with scripture then throw it out that's not that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit uh, if it does align with scripture and how many would have believed giving Jacob a $50 bill would align with scripture for whatever reason if it, it could be that he needed it or it just could be that the Lord just wants to bless him or maybe God just wants to test your obedience so so, yeah, that would align with Scripture. So, so here's your $50. By faith, Jacob, take this by faith. This is $50. Okay, uh, then, then I, would, I, would, I, would, I would do that. If it's a major thing, if it's a major thing, then, then I would do several things to test that voice and make sure that it is, that it is God's voice and, and not Satan's voice. Or just something that you want to do. How many know if you want to do something bad enough, you can, you can hear God tell you? <laughs> How to test God's voice about a, about a major issue? Well, first of all, ask yourself, do I recognize this voice? And, and if it's the first time for you, you may not recognize it. But if you walk with God for a long time and learn to, to hear the voice of God, then you ought to be able to recognize. So the first thing I'm going to ask myself is, do I recognize this voice? Have I heard this voice before? Has God told me to do Have I heard this? Is this God's voice? Do I recognize this voice? Second question I would ask, we're talking about a major thing. Uh, uh, does it align with Scripture? Always align with Scripture. If you hear a voice that tells you to divorce your wife and marry somebody else, that's not God's voice. Okay? Not God's voice. So does this voice that I heard or this impression I have, does it align with Scripture? Number three, look for, and we're talking about a major thing now, look for confirmation of what you've heard. Look for confirmation of what you've heard. And that confirmation might come through a prophecy if somebody might give you a word and say, you know, the Lord told me to tell you some this and that. Well, first of all, if somebody tells you the Lord told me to tell you something, first of all, 
First of all, God has, I believe, personally, God has already would have already to- told you that you're, before that. And this is just confirmation of what God has already spoken to you. So I never make a major decision just based on somebody telling me I have a word for you and God's word for you is that it's time for you to leave and you need to get up Sunday and announce that you're leaving. Well, uh, no. Uh, If God had been dealing with me over a period of time, you know that it's time, it's time you need to do this. And then someone were to come to me and give me a word that the Lord told me that you need to, the Lord told me to tell me tell you that you need to do what he's been telling you to do. And tell me that, well then that's confirmation. Am I clear on that? Does that make sense? So look for confirmation of what you've heard. It could be come through a prophecy, it come, come through a sermon. Um, it could come through a teaching. Um, you could go to a spiritually mature, say spiritually mature. You could go to a spiritually mature saint and tell them what you feel like God told you and see how they respond. In the book of Acts, there's a place where it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and the brethren. Well, the Holy Spirit had confirmed it, but he had confirmed it also. He had spoken to them, but he would also confirmed it through a group of, of spiritually mature people. I would say this, if, if I'm talking about major, something major, say major. Uh, if you only hear it one time and then it goes away, I wouldn't move on it. I wouldn't move on it. If it's a major thing, God can speak to me more than once. I don't mean he has to write it in the sky or tell me his audible voice, but, but, but he's going to have to confirm it. It's major. He's going to have to confirm it. I don't think uh, is it something that's constantly in your, in your spirit. When, God, when, when I was pastoring a church of over 300 people, which was a great church for a guy 33 years old, and God spoke to me and said, Harvest Time Church, Midland, Texas, Odessa Highway. And first of all, I was excited. And man, and I'm the kind of guy that likes to take the bull by the horns and blah, blah, blah. But then when reality started c- coming to me that, wait a minute, I'm going to lose a really good salary and a really good church and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to someplace I've never been before. Don't know a soul there. Don't have a dollar. You know, I don't have anybody back. And blah, all this stuff. When reality started hitting me and I started, you know, uh, hearing the voice of the enemy, you know. But you know what? There was something in my spirit that just wouldn't go away. I didn't, I didn't, I, when I heard that March the 26, 1990, it was six months later before I made it public. I processed it a long time. And it's just continually in my spirit and continually in my spirit. I don't think God will tell us something to do that is major only once and give us no confirmation. Uh, the more familiar you are with someone's voice, the easier it is to recognize. My father, of course, has passed away, but you know when my father would and would call me on the phone, he wouldn't say, uh, "Mike, this is your father." No, he would just call me, and I'd say hello, and he'd just start talking. He didn't announce who he was; he just started talking. 
because he knew I would know who he was talking because he knew that I would know his voice. And he was right. I didn't say, who is this? Who is this? No, I knew my father's voice because I heard it all my life. I knew my father's voice. We need to walk with God to a degree that we know his voice. We know his voice. And he doesn't have to announce. Now, this is your heavenly father. But that takes a lot of walking with God. A lot of walking with God. I'm sorry, I'm seven minutes over, but I did answer all the questions. Amen. Are you? Okay, cool, cool. Let me, let me pray and then you give them resources. Sorry, I didn't have time. If, if you want to ask me anything specific or you want to correct me, well, at least I'll be corrected on my own instead of in front of everybody. So, <laughs> Father, thank you for this time that we've had together. Father, I just pray, Lord, that that uh, some good answers were given today. Uh, Lord, any of the answers that were wrong, I just pray you'll blot them out of their minds and they'll forget them. But uh, I just pray your blessing upon these men. Make them better men, better husbands, and better fathers, better men of God. Father, for your glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.